1: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. I'm
2: Janet. I'm Mel. And I'm Berna.
1: We get a lot of questions about the topic of personal finance. Helen, Mel, and myself have shared some of our own experiences, practices, and tips in past episodes, but we've been wanting to chat with someone who has a lot of experience in personal finance beyond just their own experience, and who can speak to it from the perspective of a millennial, Gen Z woman of color and
2: child of immigrants. Wouldn't you know, that is really hard to find. In comes Berna Anat, a first-gen child of Filipino immigrants and financial hype woman dedicated to making financial literacy more funny and accessible for young people everywhere. Verna is the host of Betcha's Money Please podcast. She has spoken at venues like The Girl Boss Rally, Google, and The Wing, and her work has been featured on platforms such as Forbes, The New York Times, and BuzzFeed. Verna was recently named one of ABS's CBN's global Pinot Adults, awarded to the 10 most influential Philippine people in the United States. Please welcome to the Asian Boss Girl Podcast, Verna. Thank Woo! you so
3: much. Welcome, Verna. I'm body rolling. <laughs> you can't hear, you can't see me from my mic, but I'm twerking around my mic for you <laughs> all. Uh, 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 I'm so so honored, so happy to be here with you two. This is an incredible podcast, an incredible show. And as always, I'm like, I see two women of color, two people of color, two Asian women. And I'm like, oh, safe space. Okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. There's like a certain vertebrae yes. that like unlocks that doesn't when I'm talking to other folks. So it's, a, it's so wonderful to be here.
1: Oh my gosh. We're so excited to have you, Berna. As we said, it was really hard to find someone mm-hmm. who would be a good fit to talk about this topic with us and our listeners. Yeah. Um, and to connect with a woman of color over money is really hard to find. Yes. Um, like you share, the world of money gurus is usually very white and very male. Okay. And we have a ton of questions to ask you today. But before we get into all of those questions, we want to know a little bit more about your personal financial journey. You've shared on um, the podcast that you host and your various social media platforms that at one time you were $50,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. Not only were you able to get out of debt and pay off that debt which by the way is really hard Mm -hmm, to do so congratulations (laughs) on doing that thank you but you actually saved enough to quit your nine-to-five job to create financial literacy content full-time as well so obviously you got a lot of experience in the personal finance space and we'd love to hear your financial journey and maybe starting out with just the topic of debt like Mm. what were the steps you took to get out of debt
3: Yes. Oh my gosh. First, I just, again, thank you so much for bringing me into this space to talk about the money things. Um, I want to also pull out something that you just said of the educational space and the financial education space, really so many different spaces for us feeling what I found was hella male, hella pale, hella stale. That really stuck out to me when I first started (laughs) looking looking into what I I had called the ancient Caucasian art of budgeting. I was like, what does it all mean? But rewinding from there, um, It really uh, – the first step I took to get out of debt was honestly to sort of contend with my financial – now we call it financial trauma, like all the icky, all the ick that comes up emotionally when we think about money. I mean one of the reasons money is such a difficult topic to talk about is because we're told from the very, 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 very beginning of our lives, especially if you are part of a – I mean I would say it's definitely in the Asian American community, definitely in the Filipino American community – you are not supposed to talk about money. You're never mm-hmm. supposed to talk about your, your family's financial situations. You're definitely not supposed to talk about the negative parts of it. Um, there's actually – there was a study from the University of Cambridge that came out, I want to say, in like 2019, that our money habits were formulated, like kind of solidified between the ages of 7 and 12, which is like mm. poof, super mind-blowing. And so one of the first steps to get out of debt was to sort of look that in the eye. I didn't really understand the concept of like money as an emotional thing until I started to like, huh, let me see what I can do with this. $38,000 $38,000 of student loan debt and this $12,000 of credit card debt, which by the way, I got from basically being a broke writer in New York City. Mm. Um, all that, I'm sure there's, I know there are lots of people listening to that and nodding their heads right now because we all know that song. Um, but before that, it was like I carried my debt around the same way that I think a lot of millennial folks do, which is like I carried around secretly i sort of towed it like a cute accessory like i'm broken a mess isn't it funny and the rest of us are broken messy isn't it funny when really deep down i was absolutely terrified and confused mm. um before this i had no kind of financial background i don't have like a background or degree in finance my family you know they immigrated from the philippines i'm first gen and so a lot of this was just me like you know that meme of like a, a the cat hitting the keyboard just doing like this boom yeah. boom yeah. that was me trying to figure out like how does one get out of debt basically though to consolidate my steps of how i got out of debt one was again kind of contending with like the financial lessons and stories of my life how did i get into debt why do i feel this way about my debt and my money um and we can get into this too but it's it's also this sort of extensive process of questioning like what did i learn about money and debt growing up what are the Mm -hmm. stories that were told to me and the stories that i tell myself about money to really sort of understand how did i how the hell did i get here how did I get in debt and how did I get so terrified of it? Um, and then in the tactical way, I always say that the number one way to get out of debt is to earn more money, honestly. like So many financial educators are like, there are 10 steps to getting out of debt, and here budgeting, saving tips and tricks. None of that matters unless you are getting paid more than what you need to survive every month. I think it can be really dangerous to tell folks that like, oh, you're in debt because you know, you're dumb, or you're in debt because you made bad decisions. No, not necessarily. We know that the wage gap is real and getting wider and wider for women and people of color. We know that wages are stagnant and that the cost of living is up, 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 up all the time. And so that second step is really accepting, like, do I even make enough money to survive? Do I make enough money to put extra towards my debt? Because that's what really takes down debt. So getting a different job after a little while and being like, oh, my God, I got a paycheck every two weeks. This is crazy. Like a freaking IV drip of money that helped out a lot. And then the third thing was coming up with a debt payoff plan. And I could definitely go more into this if we want to. But basically, debt payoff, honestly, is like mad boring and very calculated. And the whole idea is that you sort of figure out how much extra money you have every month, if you have any to put towards your debt. And then you figure out if you're doing that every month, where where is the finish line? And then it's just like beating the drum every month putting all your extra money towards that debt the real secret sauce is making it fun on the way there which is like or my like that's sort of where like my secret mm, taste is um but yes let me get off my soapbox real quick because i know i just dropped a lot of a lot of words but that's that's the the debt journey in a nutshell thank
1: you so much for sharing that background i i would love to learn a little bit more about um you had said that you were working in New York as a writer and yes. that what kind of switched it for you was starting to increase your pay. Mm-hmm. When you, I guess when you graduated from college, you had debt. And then when you went into work, were you working at like a, was it like a, were you getting paid freelance? Mm-hmm. Was it like full-time? Mm-hmm. And at what point did you feel like stable with your income coming in? Or how did you manage that whole process to start getting paid more?
3: So growing up, I actually really wanted to be the editor-in-chief of a teen magazine. I was a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And of course, like so many of us, and I'm sure it has been discussed on this podcast, that dream got squished pretty quickly, or at least my parents definitely tried. They were like, mm, lawyer, doctor, engineer, pick one of the three. And I was like, I wanna write to teen girls. And they're like, ew. Yeah. Um, but I very much pursued that, uh, definitely in college. And so I went really hard with the networking. I ended up working at 17 Magazine and Glamour Magazine uh, in New York City right after I graduated, which was amazing but it was also one of those things where it's like i'm living my dream and then two minutes later why do i hate this (laughs) This it's terrible (laughs) oh my gosh it was um it was wonderful in a lot of ways and then it really made me realize that you know your job what it sounds and looks like is one thing but what you do every single day is completely different and of course in the writing industry and in the magazine industry which is like kind of barely an industry anymore sadly jobs were very scarce and they did not pay very well Mm. and I honestly after a couple years figured like okay if I'm gonna get paid peanuts while living in New York City and like pretending to live my best life while also broke and terrified um, I want to really pursue what I'm passionate about which I realized was actually uh, working directly with young people with teens and so I jumped from the 17 ship into working for the YMCA in the summertime I was a teen programs uh, camp director and my Obviously, very Asian parents were horrified because they could no longer brag that their daughter worked Mm -hmm. at a national magazine. Mm -hmm. They're like, I'm supposed to tell people you're a camp counselor. I'm like, (laughs) it was very strange um and then getting paid less honestly and there was very much it was two years of being like but i'm living my dream and i'm sweating and i'm broke i'm literally lego blocking together my rent every month like i remember at one point i like secretly took out savings bonds that i've had since i was like like my christening and cashed those out because i was like not making my rent but i was like but i'm living the dream and if i leave new york city go back to san francisco i'll like technically have failed so i'm gonna keep doing it Mm. then this i had a wonderful opportunity uh after two years of honestly being extremely annoying on the internet while I was a writer and a video producer, uh, I was being very annoying about teen empowerment and um, just advocating for young people and young creators, I was tapped to be part of Instagram's very first teen team I was I became the teen community lead which basically meant I I honestly like translated memes for engineers at Instagram like for the technical people at Instagram they'd be like, so why? Is the Snapchat hot dog such a big deal? And I'll be like, okay, well, pull up a coffee, I'll tell you. Um, that was my job for two years. And of course, that came with, like, I wanted to move home to San Francisco, and it came with a pay bump, too. And that's when I sort of had this, like, financial existential crisis of, like, wow, how much of my identity, I've been terrified about money, I've been broke and scared about my debt. But I also was like weirdly comfortable inside of that identity because I was like, Mm -hmm. well, we're all kind of terrified and scared. And now having a bigger paycheck meant like, oh, shit, like this is God being like, you have no excuse anymore. You have to get your shiz together. Um, And then I also learned, though, in my two years being at Instagram and surrounded by tech money, that having money does not mean that you get your financial shiz together right away. Absolutely not. You have to work on that still. And even like and I'm sure we can talk about this from the first-gen perspective too, suddenly earning money and more money than my parents had ever made also brought upon all these like weird financial thoughts and guilt and strangeness and so I had to work through all of that good stuff too. Um, But mostly I was like this is an opportunity to again learn the ancient Caucasian art of budgeting, do something with this money because you are in $12,000 of credit card debt and you have no emergency savings and you have student loans. So that's that's the king that kicked me in the butt, truly.
1: Wow. I was, like, nodding, like, furiously through <laughs> your story because I have a similar uh, background of just jumping between different types of careers yes. that had ranges of very low income to, yeah, higher, like, you know, tech income. Yes. And um and a lot of that existential struggle with wanting to do things that I was passionate about, but then also feeling like I need to be able to pay mm-hmm. my bills. Yes. And then, you know, yeah. And then with the the guilt of, yeah, having something for your parents to be able to, like, share with their friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But along with what you said, there really struck me was just because you're making a, a lot of money doesn't mean that you are understanding how to manage your personal finances. Mm-hmm. And as someone who is whose whose personal income is changing that drastically so quickly, or like over a, co- a couple of years, mm-hmm. what were some of the tips that you might give for someone who's whose income is swinging everywhere, like and just starting to figure out how to budget? Yes, like what's what's a good
3: way to start start going through that? Yes. Oh my gosh, I always say that budgeting is this like gross burp of a word for what truly is like one of my favorite things in the whole world like it's so beautiful to me I wish we could rename these things it's very unfortunate that we came late and couldn't rename things like budgeting but basically um when you are just starting out budgeting especially when you're like oh I have a completely different income what do I do with all this that I felt a lot of nervousness of just like I actually could like live off of Mm. this money now and then there was that instinct and again this kind of goes back to like My financial trauma and also like inherited financial trauma from my parents and generations back, the idea of scarcity, right? Like, I'm earning more than my parents ever had. Mm. This is nuts. Um, And what I know to do with money from what I've watched my family do, because money was so scarce growing up, is spend it when you got it. Like, if you're getting money, if you come on like a windfall of money, if you like randomly win something at Vegas, you spend it, you go crazy, you like make it rain upon your family, you use it to flex on people. And so I, I had to hold back that instinct, but I will admit that like it took me a minute to hold back that instinct. There were definitely a few like heady months of like, I make tech money now, yeah. you can't tell me shit. Oh. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, oh, right, yes, I am actually extremely financially anxious and in debt, so maybe I should pay attention to that. When um, I first started to sort of understand what budgeting was, budgeting really, it just became this way of organizing your money. And when you like Google how to budget, you get like spreadsheets and apps and like very intensive like boxes of numbers. One thing that I found was really important for me when I first started budgeting is to use a medium that makes sense to you, that actually excites you, that you actually want to touch. Mm. Uh, we're also damn busy. Like no one has room in their lives for new things essentially. And so what I see a lot of folks do is like, I'm going to start to budget. Here's my very complicated Excel sheet. And I'm going to put everything that I spend every single day in it. I'm going to suddenly commit to this new plan every day for the rest of my life because like I'm going to keep up this motivation for the rest of your life. You're not. You're going to fall off and then you're going to feel bad about yourself and, and beat yourself up. So mm-hmm. what actually I first started doing, I was like, I don't like boxes with numbers in it. I've never been like a math and Excel sheet person. I opened up a Google Doc and I just started to write. Like I said, I wanted to be a writer. I've always been a writer and I love to journal. And so every other Friday, I would open up this Google Doc, which I named Felicia's Wallet because at the time, Buy Felicia was really popping off. And people were like, I wish I could see Felicia's passport. She's always going everywhere. I was like, I wish I could see her wallet. Like, how's a bitch afford all these things? <sighs> yeah. So I named it Felicia's Wallet and I just opened it up every Friday, every payday and literally wrote in words like how I felt about my money that day and where I think like kind of going back and being like, where did my money go the last two weeks? Mm. Oh, looks like I spent it here, here, here. It's really painful to look at this, but here's how I feel about it. Like literally journaling journaling out my feelings about money every other Friday um, and being like, oh, well, this – look at that like paycheck is the same i guess that's how it works in the adulting world so i could try again the next two weeks here's what i think i'm going to try to do here's what's coming up in the next two weeks i know not have to put money aside for like i talk to myself in journal form and i kept that out i actually still do it i still journal like this google doc is honestly like 300 pages long at this point um but it's what got me into talking about my money and talking back to my money i didn't go straight into the numbers and the apps and the excel sheets i found a medium that worked for me And that's what I would say to folks first starting out. Like if if budgets and Excel sheets don't work for you, then write it out, dance it out, talk it out, like record yourself talking about your money or sit down with a safe person and like have every other Friday be like the time where you two sit together and like talk about your money anxiety together. Mm. Just find something that works for you because it doesn't have to be what Google tells you.
1: I love that advice because I think I, I mean, even though my first job was like working in Excel Mm -hmm. and stuff, I found it really challenging to try to go in there and like map out. And I would, I went through that process, like you said, I I planned everything and then Mm -hmm. when I wouldn't hit it, I'd get really frustrated. So it's like this constant like falling on and then keeping off. But your approach is, that's such a beautiful different way to go about it is just to figure out how do you figure out your relationship mm-hmm. with things and mm-hmm. if for you that's writing or journaling yeah I think that's that's beautiful
2: you just said so many great things from like beginning to <laughs> now I'm, I'm just processing everything but I just relate to a lot of things okay. you said even when you're when, when you talked about even like moving to New York to pursue writing and you, this job and then because I actually can really relate to that because I feel like I'm one of those like those Asian kids that you know went against my parents and moved to LA to pursue media entertainment and Mm -hmm. I started freelancing I'm just like oh shit like the thing I like to do doesn't really I can barely pay rent yes and that's when I realized I think it's good to kind of talk about you said financial trauma where it comes from because that's when I realized like why is my mom's so against me pursuing this world is because I think Mm. our families are really big on financial stability that's so yes. huge especially as you know immigrant immigrants coming here to like you know start a life they mm-hmm. really want that to make sure their family is financially secure mm-hmm. and so that's something i feel like you had to talk through and acknowledge within yourself and with your family members to be like hey i understand that but i'm also like i'm trying to navigate my own life here and then mm-hmm. again talking through money is such a sensitive thing but i love how you shared like the ways you got out of debt because like i'm not gonna lie i racked up some i racked up you know a couple you know, living in LA too. And yes, this is a safe space. You could, yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's not, um, I feel like sometimes like even now, like obviously all three, all three of us now are in different places in our lives. Uh, but reflecting back you're like damn how did I live off that little amount and make a living because I was barely I don't know about you in New York but I was sharing a bedroom in LA and I was like I couldn't Mm -hmm. tell people I couldn't even go on dates to be like oh I share a room like you can't even like enjoy your social (laughs) life back to my bunk
3: bed yeah 100% (laughs) I was in a fifth floor walk up with three other women Uh, in New York City and so it was and then like in Harlem and like upper Manhattan so it was like best butt and legs of my life for sure going up all Mm -hmm. those stairs Mm -hmm. but it was it's also like it hits on like what we were sort of saying before before we even started recording is you find yourself in different areas of adulthood and of life and financially there are some things like financially and energetically that I could put up with when I was in my early 20s of Mm -hmm. like being broken scared and unstable and also living in a fifth floor walk up with three other women like crazy fun now that I'm I'm 32 I'm like oh no I need Mm -hmm. I need my financial stability to catch up with what I want which is my own bedroom my own place you know like so somewhere where I don't have to walk up four flights of stairs like it's it's very interesting to sort of navigate what you can mm-hmm. and can't tolerate and how your money has to follow that
2: you did say something that like piqued my attention early and you're like oh you know, with but budgeting the word obviously the word sucks you're able to get yourself out of debt and you talk about there's this magic sauce I'm like girl you can't say magic sauce and I'll share it now like the magic <laughs> thing to make it to make it fun right and I was like yeah. how do you make it fun
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Suspense. Um, oh my god, I'm happy to. The like the make it fun part of finance is like where I'm trying to live forever because there's the tips and tricks, right? Well, there's that first component that we talked about, which is like don't even touch the tips and tricks or think about them or listen to them until you know that you're making enough money to cover yourself from month to month. Mm. I really want people to be careful in entering the education space because some financial educators are quick to make you feel stupid. They are quick to make you feel bad about what your financial situation is, um, and I have to say off top, like you are not in debt because you're stupid. You are not uh, behind on your budgeting because you're dumb. There are so many factors that go into it. The biggest being, you might be underpaid compared to your lifestyle. Mm. You know, if you literally don't make enough money to cover you from month to month, that's why you can't get out of debt. That's why you feel financial anxiety. Um, it's this very sad sort of not not even symptom setting of like this circus of capitalism that we're in that money is the language of power. We need money to survive and you you can take in all the tips and tricks that you want but if you don't make enough to survive that's where you got to start. A lot of folks listening Mm -hmm. might need to just focus on upping their income before you start managing your money because when you go the opposite way when you start to try to manage money that you don't have enough of that's when we start to feel down on ourselves especially I've found women and women of color start to turn in on ourselves and call ourselves dumb. It's our fault. When really in reality, one, you're probably underpaid and two, for so many of us there have been systemic barriers that have stopped us and especially our ancestors from building wealth. So I can get on the soapbox about that but there's so many things about it that's like hold on, wait before we get to the cute fun stuff. Are you making enough money? Do you need to just up your income? That might be the first answer for you. If you feel like you are making enough income to live from month to month and you're like, I just feel like I'm a miss, there's the budgeting, there's the Excel sheets, there's the figuring out um, your debt payoff plan. But the fun part is the hype. This is why I call myself a financial hype woman because the financial education space is so dry and like prescriptive and kind of finger waggy sometimes. And I I don't think we focus enough on how delicious and empowering it can feel to finally be in control of your money. So for example, when I was uh, paying off my debt, the first thing, the very first financial goal I had was paying off that $12,000 of credit card debt because I learned that credit card debt is like, quote unquote, the most expensive debt. It's like the highest interest rate. So it like costs you the most over time. And I, you know, figured out my debt payment plan. I like got into a free like debt repayment calculator, which you could find on the Google's And you plug in like how much you can pay every month. It tells you when you might be able to hit your goal and you can mess around with it. I was like, all right, I got my payoff date like a year into the future. I have – I know what I have to pay every month and I just have to sort of like hit transfer and hit payment every month. Boring, terrible financial trauma comes on every time it happens. Um, Mm. There are a few things though that I did to make it fun. For example, like I I learned about debt uh, repayment posters like – you making a poster where it's kind of like that like fundraising thermometer where you like color it in every time Mm. you get a certain amount of money. Uh, my, My partner at the time and I, we both are paying off our student loans and we made debt repayment posters. Mine was like a huge hot pink poster that said buy Felicia really big. Um, His was a parrot because he was really into this like parrot documentary of San Francisco. It's very strange. But uh, every time we paid off, we made a payment, we would like have a moment where we'd celebrate and like play music songs, which I now have a very long music playlist on Spotify. Um, We'd like play a music song and make it this whole moment for each other, get like a fat marker and color it in. And it just felt so like celebratory it felt tactile like like a kindergartner i knew that i was paying off my debt like i'd beep boop bop and do the transfer submit payment yay but i I was secretly just looking forward to like grabbing that marker and being like (laughs) color it in yeah um like involving that tactile tracking was so good but most importantly it was also involving a person like Mm. having even a small community in my debt repayment plan when I started to pay off debt and share that with not just my partner, but my friends and family, then other people chimed in, oh, I'm doing the same thing. Let's get together. And like every time you do it, text me and I'll celebrate you. Every time I, you know, we like kind of co celebrate in that way. Um, then it became so much more than, I mean, it kind of got me out of my own cave. We live in like this financial isolation cave all the time where we keep our like money life secret and we even keep our celebrations and successes secret. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know I don't have to tell the two of you because you curate community, but community is like the magic sauce to everything, mm. uh, especially on a topic that's been classically so taboo and we feel so isolated about.
2: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, yeah. I can't agree even more. It's like It's like the accountability too that's also really needed too. So thank you for sharing. I also appreciate you sharing the different, like for people from different, I guess, areas of life where they are in their financial journey. Um, but for the people who are pretty confident in managing their personal budget for these types of people, what are some more advanced, clever tricks or tips you can share with them?
3: Oh yes. Okay. Here's another delicious, super fun one. I have a biweekly money date with myself that I've had since like 2016 and I do not break it. So when I was, I could say this now that I'm no longer working at Instagram. Um, I, when I was at Instagram, I would take an hour every every payday, every other Friday, and block up my calendar and book a conference room, and pretend that I was having a meeting. I was not. I was having a meeting with myself. Um, I called it my Bay Day, B A E, meaning before anything else. Um, it was the same day as my payday. And my head, I was like, "Before I spend this paycheck, like I just got the paycheck, I'm going to budget it before anything else." Is my Bay Day. Um, sometimes I now call it your like personal CFO meeting, Chief Financial Officer of your life, mm-hmm. and. I sit down in that hour and that's the hour that I take to open up my bank accounts, take my paycheck, sprinkle it into my different – my categories because I have – so many bank accounts, uh, and we can get into the the tactile part of budgeting that too. Um, but that's the moment where I take my paycheck, I sprinkle the money into my different bank accounts, I check up on my savings goals, I check up on my debt, I check my credit score. You know, it's like I just sort of like take the pulse of my whole financial life. Um, I defend this time like it's a doctor's appointment. Like I do not let people f with my personal CFO meeting, and I play my money like budgeting playlist the entire time. It honestly, I'm probably it's probably because I'm a child, but it really takes that moment of like, I'm clicking around into my bank accounts and feeling bad. Then suddenly Boss by the Carters is playing and I'm like, I'm a bad bitch. <sighs> I am Jay-Z. I am sending invoices to people. Like I am, uh, I'm embodying. It just, it just makes the moment so much more yeah. fun.
2: Um
3: I've also had some budgeting clients, budgeting coaching clients who, and I've encouraged them to stack their budgeting time, pair it with something self-care related that you don't usually have time for. And so one of my clients, she would do a full beat face of makeup and like wear her favorite clothes before she did the budgeting. And um, I've had lots of people be like, that's when I deep condition my hair. Like that's when I binge watch the office and take my pants off and eat seaweed. Like you pair it with these like very Mm. fun delicious moments and it sort of rewires your brain to think like oh budgeting when we open up that excel sheet i also get seaweed and i get to take my pants off and i get to watch the office um so i would say absolutely start with like a really delicious bi-weekly money date with yourself
2: Mm. i love that and i also want seaweed now
3: word (laughs) It should not be limited to your budgeting time. I mean, I'm not saying hold back. I think another important point to make too is like a budget is not necessarily put your money on a diet, like restrict your money. It's not a thing where it's supposed to, it's not telling you necessarily what you can't have. Budgeting to me is organizing your money so that you know what you can do. Like very, very basic budgeting, like first step is you got to separate your adulting money from your fun money. A lot of us like started off our financial lives with one checking account and one savings account because that's like what our econ teacher made us do in high school for extra credit or whatever. And then living off of that is so difficult, like reaching into this grab bag of money and hoping that there's rent in there and hoping that there's enough for a Friday night out. Separating your fun money in one checking account, your adulting bills, money in another checking account, and then a savings account for whatever it needs to be. Just having those three separate is so incredibly important. And I always tell people like a budget is like it's supposed to tell you what you're saying yes to you know if you have enough Mm. money in your adulting account to survive for the next two weeks or the next month that means whatever is in your fun account like that's your fun allowance or that's your shoe allowance or that's your freaking like anime merch allowance whatever it is Mm. that you define as fun create a separate account for it so that you can say yes to those things while also knowing you can survive because you have your survival money in a totally different bucket
1: Mm -hmm. that's a great tip um is to really just like put them in separate Mm -hmm. accounts as a way to mentally kind of like keep them separate and also allow yourself to see the positives and when you said t- your budget is what you say yes to mm-hmm. I feel like that was like such a good a good perspective to take on it. Yeah.
3: And we gotta have that hype. Um, another one you have to stop me when it comes to talking about budgeting because I will keep going but when you're setting up those bank <laughs> accounts another very fun thing that honestly like changed my perspective on budgeting is that you can nickname your bank accounts. I didn't know that you could do this for the mm. longest time and so people nickname them you know like fun whatever. I'm always nicknaming them crazy ratchet shit like it's always a cardi lyric or a rihanna lyric or something that makes me laugh something inappropriate that makes me smile um especially when it's like a savings goal and like it's like a, it's like a bikinis and bellinis or something like that or like bitch but i have my money it's just <laughs> hilarious to like talk to customer service and they have to be like so ma'am we're making a transfer into uh, i'm a ratchet bitch in orleans account like yes you are and we are and i am it it really creates this like personal connection with your money so that it doesn't feel like this like mm. number static moving around you're like no i want to embody the nickname of that account like i want i feel right. a personal tie to it so it could be very fun
1: Beyond budgeting, you had also mentioned credit cards Mm -hmm. and we know that credit cards are a great financial tool. um, But there are a lot of red flags Mm -hmm. as well as maybe green flags. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you share with our listeners kind of in your mind, what are some of those big kind of things when it comes to credit cards for someone who maybe is new to the credit card world? Maybe they just graduated. Mm -hmm. What are your kind of like top red flags and top green flags to look for?
3: Yes, okay. I if I'm talking directly to a person who just graduated and they're about to get into their into their credit card life, um, I could already feel I'm like literally crafting this like fake persona of a person. <laughs> and from the this it's the Scorpio in me is coming out and making shit up. Um <laughs> this person, I can feel anxiety coming from them already because I think a lot of us, especially like younger millennial Gen Z, saw the credit card debt that the older generations like before us got into. And they automatically think credit is a bad thing. I want to stay away from credit or it scares me or it's something that like I could go off the deep end with so I'm going to avoid it. I would say there is very much a way that you can enter your credit life without automatically like dipping into all that temptation. And also it's worth it going into your credit life because unfortunately, again, weird rules of like the capitalism circus we're in, you will need a credit history and a credit score to do adult shit. Like buy a home or buy a car or get loans. Um, Even for things like things that you might need for starting a business, they'll look at your credit history. So you do need to start and you want to start as soon as possible. Because one of the many weird ass rules of the credit life world is that the longer you've had credit in your life, the better. So I'm very excited for young people to start with their credit life. But I wish someone told me, starting off it like credit card money is not free money bitch I'm not I'm not saying bitch to you I'm saying bitch to my young self I'm being hard on myself right now credit card money is not free money no one explained to me the concept that the money that you spend on a credit card, you have to pay back, and ideally, you pay back as soon as possible. Um, that is where people kind of get caught up. They're like, $5,000 that I don't have, I am rich, um, without ever fully embodying an understanding, like, if you didn't have that $5,000 before, it's going to be very hard for you to pay that $5,000 afterwards. So mm. one thing, one, like, green flag I want to offer to this person is absolutely start your credit life, but start it with a secured credit card first. A secured credit card is basically like a debit card or a gift card. You load it with cash you already have, and then you spend it like a credit card. But because it's a secured credit card, whatever you're doing on there counts towards your credit history, Mm. which is awesome. And you never go into any kind of danger zone of having to pay back money that you don't have because you already put that cash deposit down. You're just spending your own money, and it's counting towards your credit history, which is awesome. In that way, I would say, like, take a few months to practice paying for things and paying it off right away like like having the money like little bits of money at a time and making sure you're only charging things that you have already have the money for you could also start your credit life off right if you connect with an adult in your life who has good credit and they can add you as an authorized user to their card and it's sort of like it's kind of like copy pasting somebody's report card onto yours like they their credit history becomes part of your credit history and if they have great credit then you're not starting off from zero. You might be starting off from an, from an awesome place and that makes your credit history great from the jump because um, I'm trying to get us all to that, that good credit score life so we can get all the loans and, and jumpstart all the intergenerational wealth that we can.
1: Thank you so much for connecting for our listeners, the beauty of a credit card and how that ties to your credit score and yes. how it's not just free money and it also affects your life in the longer run in terms of if you mm-hmm. want to buy a home and all of these different things. So yes. um, that is a beautiful goal and messaging to have for sure.
3: Yes, of course. I mean, we want to, I wish we could avoid it. Like if basically if you're planning on going off the grid for the rest of your life and like homesteading and just like Animal Crossing for real, then great. You might not need credit, but it's, yeah. it's again, one of the weird rules that we got to play by and the credit credit system rules are very strange so you want mm-hmm. you're going to want to go slow.
2: I'm like thinking about my future kids I'm like okay, I want to get them. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking about how I'm going to start building their credit. I'll be honest, I'm I, I feel like I'm someone that even when I look at credit cards now, I get really intimidated still. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like what are some tips for someone like me who's in their 30s and not not, not the most comfortable with like I guess my finances or credit cards like mm-hmm. I think for someone on our age, stage of life like what are some things to actually like look at for like a I guess a credit card noob.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, of course. So I would say even no matter where you are, a secured credit card is a great place to start, especially mm-hmm. if you're nervous about, oh God, don't give me the five thousand dollars ten thousand dollar limit because mm-hmm. I might go off. Secured credit card is an amazing place to start. Um I would also say that like from when you go from secured credit card to the next kind of like more upgraded credit card by upgraded, I mean you actually now it functions like a regular credit card. They give you a credit limit and you know, they give you five thousand dollars credit limit, let's say. Um, And then they give you like an interest rate, which is basically like, I think of it as like a percentage of kind of punishment. An interest rate is like, if you owe $100 on a credit card, but your interest rate is 20%, if you don't pay back that $100, they calculate that $100 times it by 20% and they're like, Girl, you owe $120 now. The next month, girl, you owe $100. Da, 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 do the math dollars now. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, that's where we start to get nervous, like the interest rate and the credit limit. When you get into that place of like, now I have a credit card with a limit, I want you to always keep in mind don't go anywhere near 100% of your credit limit. Like if your credit limit is $5,000. I lie to myself in my brain and I calculate 30% of that, whatever the math is, I'm, I'm unequipped to do the math right now, but I, I take 30% of that and I'm like, that's my limit. I don't even mm. think about the fact that it's even bigger. That's because one of the, I want to say like the number two most important factor to your credit score is credit usage, which means like if out of 100% of your credit limit, how much of it do you use? and they don't tell you but they want you to stay under 30%. Again, as a lifelong overachiever, mm. a freaking recovering overachiever, I like to try to stay to 10-15% of it and that's very difficult it requires a lot of self-discipline. Um but it's important to understand from the get-go like when they tell you the credit limit run just not lies. Shut up. Nope. Do the math for yourself and give yourself a credit limit because going above that Uh, one, it's difficult to keep up with. And two, that tanks your credit score pretty quickly. So just like Mm. set yourself up from the beginning of keeping it to between 15 to 30% of your credit usage. And of course, the general rule being like if you can't put it on a credit – like if you can't pay it off in cash, think twice about putting it on a credit card. We always think of ourselves like I'm going to put this on my credit card and – future me somehow is going to have more will, more discipline, more money. She'll be fine. Like she'll take care of it. She'll worry about it later. And it almost never works out that way. So take care. Like look out for your future self in understanding that like credit is just for building up this score. It's not necessarily for buying things that you can't afford because that's that's where it gets scary. Unless it's a total absolute emergency, credit can be a wonderful thing. But we want to really sort of like temper our mindset before going into credit.
2: Man, this is great advice. I'm just like mentally <laughs> noting all this. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I didn't even know about the, the 15 to 20% thing. I want to switch it over to saving money. And I wanted to yeah. hear more about the fact that, well, first of all, congrats. You stayed up enough to quit your nine to five job. Yes. To create financial literacy content full-time, mm-hmm. that's amazing. I, you know, As someone, as Jan and I know, like going into full-time with your own business, your own passion, it can be really mm-hmm. challenging and difficult. So yes. it's a huge accomplishment that you're able to do that. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for someone who is also trying to save a reserve of money with the hopes of making career shift and maybe going yes. to their project full-time?
3: Oh my god, delicious! Okay, so I feel like I did a lot of this like ass backwards, and now I get to like be on podcasts and make it sound like I freaking planned all that. I don't really, I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I've also found that through podcasting communities like this, a lot of us, when you when it gets down to it, we all admit like I don't know, I don't know what the hell I was doing, I don't even know. So everything I say, take it with a grain of salt. It's not like I had this knowledge the entire time. I learned it looking back. So please don't think I'm smart. I just have history of mistakes. Thank God. Um, But what I did was, you know, I was working for Instagram at the time. And uh, this actually, it kind of goes under the general like umbrella banner of like advice I would give, which is, like milk the resources you have now to prepare for the future. I always get very nervous when folks are like, I'm trying to save up a whole bunch of money so I could just quit and finally start my thing. Um, I kind of quote unquote started my thing while I was at Instagram because I was like, look at this tech money, I got debt. I'm gonna milk this hoe for as long as possible. I'm gonna do my dance and I love my job, but I knew I was like, I'm gonna do my dance, get rid of my debt because there's no guarantee that when I start a business, I'm gonna be earning this much and I'm gonna be able to keep up with these bills. Let me milk the resources I have now, this tech money, these Zuck Bucks, as we call them. <laughs> Sorry, Zaddy Zuck. Milk these Zuck Bucks and get rid of my debt and also like, use this money to save up to quit. Mm. I initially did not save up money to start a business. My partner and I at the time were saving up money to travel for a year. That's what we mm. wanted to do. And of course, in like true millennial 20s-ness, we're like, we're going to travel for a year and then, well, I don't know, <laughs> see what happens <laughs> after that. So- we were uh, both doing kind of holding our financial goals together, which was great. Uh, my first goal, like I said, was paying off my credit card debt with that tech money. Did it. And then then it was building my first emergency savings with that tech money. Like my first solid three to six months. I think I ended up saving like four months of expenses of emergency savings. Great. Did it. Then it was focusing on my student loan debt. That obviously took the longest time, it took like a year and a half. Um, and we really sort of accelerated and did lots of stuff to try to like make those payments as fat as possible. Did it. And, so, uh, and then after that, we're like, let's take that same energy, pretend we're still paying off our student loans, but chuck it in a savings account for uh, our year abroad. We did all kinds of like Googling and calculations to figure out like uh, to land on a number. We wanted to together save $36,000 to travel abroad. And so that was like the the number we were gunning for. We saved it. We put in our two weeks. It was two months for me because I'm an intense people pleaser. I didn't want anyone to hate me for leaving. So I put in my two months. Um, And then we like lived our year abroad and it was amazing. And then we got back and my partner at the time, he worked for the YMCA. He was like, I'm going to go back to the YMCA. Tight. And I was like, I'm going to shit, what am I going to do, <laughs> like, I, um, you know, I, I didn't burn any bridges with former jobs, so I could have, like, explored going back to Instagram and the tech money and all that good stuff, but over the last two years, um, as, you know, I've talked a little bit about, I started to build this community of, uh, financial education and talking more about it, then I started to see things like brand partnerships come up and speaking gigs, The money started to drip in. Honestly, that started before I even left Instagram. And -hmm. I was really grateful that I was able to use that time at my full-time job to, like, basically clear out my financial closet and make way. Um, And I started to earn little drips of money being a financial educator while I was at Instagram. And so... I would say like to me it's too much freaking financial anxiety to think of like saving up a whole chunk of money so that I can quit my whole job and then suddenly like change my lifestyle like that. I actually know of a couple financial educators right now. I can't say their names because they haven't gone public with it yet. But they have been working their full-time jobs while being a financial educator and slowly earning money and building building it up as a side hustle. And basically the formula is that like once your side hustle starts to get anywhere even close to your current uh, salary, that's when you start to think of tapering it off. One of my good friends actually, who is this financial educator who's about to quit, um, is kind of tapering down to his full-time job becoming part-time and then Mm -hmm. amping up the volume on his side hustle. So that's – I would recommend more something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no rush to get into the entrepreneurship space. There's always going to be room for us, especially if you're a woman of color. There is like hella seats. Um, But financially take care of yourself because it doesn't have to be, that long story was to say it doesn't have to be a leap. It could be Mm. a very calculated, like leveraging your resources, um, doing it carefully, obviously, and protecting your job, but leveraging your resources so that you feel secure every step of the way. It doesn't have to be a bungee jump.
1: Yeah, thank you for that message. I I feel like we get asked this question a lot Mm -hmm. and we did a very similar approach, which was this started as kind of a passion project. Yes. And when it started to, you know, have some financial viability, we were continuing our full-time jobs and it was only when it got to a place where we're like, we cannot like physically put our full attention to this to you know to give it everything it needs and it is financially viable mm-hmm. only then did we kind of make that leap and each of us kind of had our own ways of managing our personal finances but i like that message to send to um to the audience for anyone who is interested in saving money and making a shift to not do it so drastically because mm-hmm. i definitely did that after my first job <laughs> <laughs> tripped over my i was the Can i'm be. just gonna save and then i'm gonna go in and then it's like i uh, didn't really have a you know a sufficient plan so i I love that that messaging of being able to do both and then the the formula you gave was very intentional which is see how much you can make on your side hustle when it starts to reach the the top level. Yes. Um, so that that was very very uh, good advice for our listeners. Yes. Um, but the other thing I want to tap into, Berna, is you had mentioned that you you kind of built the habit of saving, or, um, in, or in terms of paying off your debt first, right? Mm-hmm. And then once you started paying that off, you mm-hmm. were your lifestyle is now accustomed to saving, and you started putting that extra money then into a vacation fund. Yes, and like we talked about with the Asian American community, oh. when it comes to saving money and prioritizing frugality. It's a pretty common mindset. I think a lot of us grew up kind of with this idea of always focusing on on saving. But if you're going into now as adults and we're trying to make, you know, navigate managing our own budgets, what tips do you have for someone who is trying to find that right balance Mm. between saving for your future and being future minded and really like pinching the pennies, Mm -hmm. um, but also being able to like live your life? I think a lot of our audience struggles with that because there is this, you know, kind of the Gen Z mentality of wanting to travel and do things that you want. But then there's also that, you know, you have your mom and your dad's voice in the back of her head being like, well, you got to save for your future. (laughs) So what
3: are some ways we can kind of balance those two? Yes, absolutely. I would say actually my first thought is that I am working on two types of goals at any given time. There's a long term goal. And a shorter term goal because I know that emotionally I need those financial wins. I need to be able to like enjoy my money. If we only ever focus on Mm -hmm. like I am going to max out my 401k or my Roth IRA or whatever the retirement account is so that I am set when I'm 65, like if the ride to 65 is terrible, was it worth it? You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. this could be me as a more like – Kind of youngest child hedonistic thing of just like I'm trying to have a good time. If I'm not here for a long time, um, but I have to define and hold both goals and both truths at the same time. I want to be set for my retirement. I know what that looks like and what I need to save every year to do that. But at the same time, like Mama needs to hit a dopamine. I need to be able to save for Santorini next year. I need to be able to save for Vegas next month. Like I I know that I w- not only like is it financially viable for me to do that, but I need that emotionally. Because if I don't, then my relationship with money is always just going to be one day, one day, one day. And so Mm. having those two goals for yourself and then defining those two goals for yourself to the T. Like when I talk about savings goals, whether it's saving for Vegas next month or saving for retirement in 30 years, I always say to define it like a movie plot. Like It's like who, what, where, when, why. And the, the fastest way and the easiest way to do that is I discovered, huh? free savings calculators online, like hit the Googles and do free savings calculators. I really like the ones from uh, Nerd Wallet or The Balance. And basically, it's just a way for you to plug in what goal you have and when you want to achieve it. And it tells you, like it basically gives you a monthly bill, like a savings quote unquote bill of what you need to deposit in order to like get that goal. Um, I want people's savings goals no longer to be like, I don't want it to be like, I want to travel. No, I want to hear like in 2023. I am going to leave my job. In 2023, I'm buying a ticket to Vietnam uh, on this date. It's gonna cost this much. And I and before then, every month I need to save this much to hit this number so I can do this. Like get really, really freaking specific. Um, when we start to talk about savings goals in the abstract, it's sort of like I mean, I'm sorry, I keep mm. going on with these like weird imagery and metaphors, but like, you know the 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 clothes chair in your room oh or in your God. house? Where it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> am I calling you out? <laughs> where it's the one chair you just throw clothes on it and you're like, whatever. Yep. <laughs> I was looking for like, Where's mine? Um, When you turn the lights off in the room, I don't know if you all ever like wake up in the middle of the night and like look over your clothes chair and you're like, it's a demon. That is a monster. <laughs> that is a serial killer. It's going to kill me. As I stare at it, it's growing. Oh, my God. Um, but then you turn on the light and it's just clothes. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I feel like your savings goal, like you need to define your savings goal because to think about it in the abstract makes it feel so daunting and so strange and so foreign. And so define, like hold both of those goals for yourself, understand what it is that you need to feel good about your money on the journey to the longer term goal. Um, whether it's trips or things or experiences or food or meeting people, define that for yourself and then define the shit out of it. Again, it needs to have a, like your savings goal should have a who, what, where, when, why, use a savings calculator, um, and like map all that stuff out. So you know exactly where you're going and it's not like a vague kind of stumbling in the dark.
2: Wow. I love, love, love that advice because I feel like sometimes (laughs) as you're like, um, you're describing like you have to understand the who, what, when, why and like I think everyone has different types of long term and short term goals like I'll be yes. very transparent my long term goal uh, actually is to have a really nice wedding and I think that's everyone yes. has their own own like um, exactly perception with how they want to have their wedding but I think for me I was able to identify for, like why I want this like what does it mean for me mm-hmm. what does it mean for my family how much mm-hmm. do I anticipate my wedding to cost mm-hmm. and then I deposit my money towards that and it's like yes. a for me, I'm also like, oh, roughly when do I think that's gonna happen? But yes. I think it's good to have something to look, kind of look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, but and the and then I love how you just uh, describe like the short term goals because I'm the same as you. Like I need to have a like a short term like whether well, there's a trip to aim for because I'm just then at that point I'm just working for this thing I'm not gonna see in like ten years or like exactly. five years. So just not exactly. there's no joy in that whatsoever. I, but mm-hmm. I think once you're you're able to identify what's valuable to you. Mm-hmm. And that why and like you know journal it out. I think it's really important. So thank you so much for sharing that that yes, part. Of course, I know. And totally feel on the, the the clothing chair. Like I'll be honest, I'm yeah. sitting on my chair right now, <laughs> and all my clothes are on my bed, which I'm gonna put back on my chair.
3: <laughs> it's strategically out of the camera to Of just exactly like, what, what clothes? What do you mean? I'm I'm clean all the time. I, know. I feel that.
2: No, I totally feel you. Um, I actually want to ask you more about investing. So yes, I'll be honest. I. First of all, I'm very happy for this episode. I think like I'm really... I'm, I'm again, like I'm, a, I'm such a financial noob that mm-hmm, investing mm-hmm. is something I actually learned about more later in my life and I didn't know much about it. I still don't know. um. So I feel like maybe a lot of listeners may feel the same way as I do. Uh, and because I think we think about investing once we start our corporate job, once we start getting mm. that, you know, that money in the bank. We're like, ooh, we're getting money. What do we do with this? And also when I think about investing, I think about our retirement accounts. I was never mm-hmm. taught this at all. I wish she had it. I wish she had a course on this in college. Like True. here, what's a 401k? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I heard about 401k through Phoebe on friends and she didn't know what yeah. it was either. Her 401k, <laughs> she, she called it. Relatable.
3: Right? Yeah. It stuck with you though. Probably more than maybe somebody, people are always telling me like, oh, you know, they do teach you about 401ks and whatever in economics or in high school. I'm like, first of all, Probably not in my public school. And even if they yeah. did, it probably sucked. That's why it didn't stick. Yeah. But Phoebe saying for a wonk that stuck. Because it was relatable.
2: <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, when she said it, I didn't know what it meant, but <laughs> do you mind sharing with our listeners like a little retirement account 101, like what's the different accounts and what do they mean? Like I know there's like a Roth IRA, there's an IRA, there's stuff yes. I probably have no idea. 401k, Roth 401k. I like
3: oh, I still. <laughs> My God. I, first, I have, I must say that like the investment world, if you're confused by it, then you're right because it is a whole different language. I'm literally a financial educator, and investing gives me the pit sweats because it's so, like, there is – I mean, freaking talking, like, thinking about investing and then cryptocurrency and NFT. Like, that whole world is almost built for you to not understand it. And now that I've spent some time in the financial education world, I can say, like, this stuff is built to gatekeep certain people from understanding it and Mm. keep certain people out. Like, it's confusing Mm. because it's working that way. It's built that way so that we are confused. Um, It's it's when you get to the other side other side meaning okay finally someone like explained investing in a way that i understand and you start to sort of get confidence you start to see all the definitions of things can be said so much sim- more simply mm, why did right. we have to name it a 401k who is roth like this could all be so much <laughs> more simple but it's not and it's it's literally built so that only certain people can understand it so please i want mm-hmm. folks to know like if you're confused about it, you're you're approaching it the right way. It's built mm-hmm. that way. Um, and it's very daunting, like you said, to even try to start to understand it. One thing that I like to say to folks um, when we start thinking about investing is, especially I'm sure you can see on like Twitter and TikTok, people get very hyped up about like certain kinds of investing that are like sexier, like the crypto and the game stock and the AMC stuff, stuff, stuff like that. I'm always like, okay, the most important thing when you're starting investing, it's uh, it's not as sexy, but the first thing I want you to care about is retirement. And immediately, especially like, I feel like Gen Z and Millennial are like, boring. <laughs> Don't want to think about my 65-year-old self. Um, one thing that one of my absolute favorite financial educators, her name is Tiffany Aliche, aka The Budget Nista, She taught me to think about retirement in terms of taking care of my future self and in order to care about your future self, name her, name him, name them. Mm. Um, Tiffany's, I want to say Tiffany's future self is named Esther, I think. My future self, so I'm Berna now, but my real name is Bernadette. And I always keep saying, like, I'm not going to go by Bernadette until I'm like older and refined. Bernadette is refined. Bernadette is resting. She's a Lola, like, she's an elder. Um, mm. You know, she wears dresses and like no underwear. She doesn't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> she, like, j- define who this person is, like, who your future retirement mm. person is. What do you want for her? I want her to only be working on stuff that she cares. About. I want her to be like knitting thongs and like that's what she how she makes a living. And like she does it sometimes because she don't care because she's living off her investments. Um, she's in the sun. You know, like really sketch mm-hmm. out who this person is you're taking care of because we can't see that. Like our brains are not wired to care about ourselves at 65. But if you think about it as a different person that you're actually taking care of, it really helps. Um, And then the second thing is when you're navigating all of these different freaking accounts, oh my god, like all the languages, the language is so annoying, Um, but it kind of goes in like a tier. I try to go like step by step according to where you work. So for example, if you're thinking about retirement and you have a full-time job, the first like stupid acronym like phrase you need to care about is the 401k. That is a type of retirement account, Um, but the first thing is like If you have a 401k connected to an employer and you don't know what the hell is in there, go find out what the hell is in there. I worked my very first job at 17. It wasn't until I left like two years later that I found out I had a 401k at at 17 and that my employer was already putting in money in there for me and I had no clue. Obviously, like they're like, oh, HR explained that to you on your first day, bitch. No one's listening yeah. to that, <laughs> yeah. especially when you're like 24. Like, I'm not listening to that. Um, so find out what your if you have a current retirement plan, if it is a 401k, find out what it is and trust the fact that there are people in HR who are literally paid to sit down with you and explain that to you. They are obligated to explain that stuff to you until you understand it. Um, I, I give that same advice actually to young folks who are in college and are like about to leave with student loans i'm like don't leave without making an appointment with your financial aid officers because they are paid to explain this stuff to you and you don't have to pay them when you leave that world you got to pay people to explain this shit to you and it's terrible so um sit down and find out what's in your 401k questions to ask what the hell is this 401k like you explain that to me hr person um it's by the way 401k is named 401k for the it's like the name of the section in the U.S. tax code, which is 75,000 pages long. I'm not even exaggerating. That's the literal. Yeah. It's literally, It's. I think it's like three times longer than the Harry Potter series or something like that. Um, but it's named 401k for like the section of the tax code that describes like how taxes move in a 401k. It's so dumb. Yeah. So sexy. Oh really makes me want to get into it. Um, but if you have a 401k at work, ask like is there money being put into it what does that look like when what's the amount um start to talk to your HR folks and find out like is there is my 401k attached to any sort of like retirement goal find out how it's even being invested and even if you don't know what the fuck they're talking about when they say it find out what those words are and let that be like the the sort of research point for you. So many people, you just have like a 401k percolating somewhere in the background. Um, And I say that that's super important because it might be that your employer has a matching program, which basically means if you're putting money as the employee, you're putting money into your 401k, your employer's like tight bet in order to like keep you and keep you like, you know, incentivize you to stay the employer is going to put their own money into your account as well. Coming from, and you all know, coming from the entrepreneurship world, we don't get that delicious shit. No one is yeah. putting money into our investment accounts as a favor. Um, and so that that's like the ultimate thing I want people to find out. Like, do you have a 401k? How is it being invested? And are you leaving free money on the table by like ignoring the matching program? Some of these things are just like as as simple as like, oh, your employer is just waiting on you to go like, yes, please. I want free money. But you got to like mm. know and say mm. and like put in the request. It's so it's so dumb. Um, I'll stop here because I will keep saying words that make me angry and probably make you angry. But I hope that answered some of the question.
2: Yeah. I had a quick question to follow because I'll be honest, I was taught when I started my corporate job that a close family member said, don't do your 401k, Mel, because you can't even, your salary isn't enough for you to even live off. So don't put money into your 401k or something like that. And I was like, so I, I was like, okay, 401k is something I just won't look at. So I don't oh. know. I don't know if that's like a thing we got to consider because I'm like, oh, do I have to be looking how much I need per month in order for mm. me to even consider putting in my 401k? Was that an automatic thing? Or I don't I don't know the that's something I yes. was taught. I think might be incorrect, though.
3: I would say personally now I want to caveat and say, like, please, no one take this as official financial investment advice. You cannot sue me. You cannot sue The podcast. Uh, This is just, these are stories that we're telling, and hopefully, you get education from it. Um, I would say that that's not great advice because, of course, like I want you to survive from month to month, um, but I don't want your future self to suffer because of it. Mm. One of the most important things about investing is like it's so important to invest and start early because the biggest asset you have as a young person is time. You can't buy back time. Mm. You can't catch up later in life. Um, Investing works such that it's like growing a fruit tree. The longer you have to grow it, the like sicker and juicier the fruit will be at the end. And so I want young folks who get their first 401k, I want them to invest in their 401k. Mm. Um, I want them to protect their future selves and find out exactly how much of your paycheck is being invested in a 401k. It might be that ooh like I found out they're actually taking out $300 out of my paycheck every month and I could really use that $300 to like live great then you can scale back your contribution mm. but don't stop it I would say do not stop it because even like putting just 10 20 $50 in your 401k when you're 22 makes so much more of a difference than when you start at like 35 because mm. it's it, freaking investing is weird and then it compounds on itself you want as much time as possible um, and then from that side it's like if you protect your future self and you Put money into your 401k no matter what, even if it's a little bit, and you still don't have enough money to survive, girl get paid more. That's what it is. Like, don't like make your employer answer to that. Don't let your future self suffer because you're trying to survive. You're probably underpaid as a mother effort anyway. And we can do seven more podcasts on negotiating your salary. Cause mm. that's what you need. They they're, they're hiding that money from you. It's bullshit.
2: Wow. Thank you so much for com- uh clarifying that t- tip yeah. that I got. I'm like now I'm looking at myself and I'm like, damn, 10 years ago I would have been a different place. But it's, it's okay. Yes.
3: Exactly. We learn now. We make up for it now. We All we can do is know better than yesterday. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing.
2: Speaking of investments, I feel like the first time I actually heard about investing or like, you know, got into, dabble into it, it was actually my old coworker was like, Mel, I have a financial advisor that I think you should talk to. Ah. So... When do you think? When does? But then I, after some consideration, I realized it wasn't the best time for me. But for mm-hmm. your, in your opinion, when does it make sense to work with a financial planner or a consultant?
3: Ah. Uh. Great question. Basically, once you start to feel like this is too much um, for me to understand, I think a lot of people, especially young folks, kind of understand financial advisors like, oh, that's that's something I'm going to I'm going to mess with when I am trying to buy a house or I'm trying to build a family or like me and my partner are going to get a financial advisor. A financial advisor can help you pretty much at any point stage of your life. It's just it's sort of of been sold to us as this like fancy thing you get when you graduate into a certain level of adulthood and that's not true. I know a lot of amazing like younger financial advisors who just want to, they are open to help at any level of your life and it's not like a therapist or something where it's like, oh, I got to invest in this person. We're going to stay together for life. That's something I do I have to make room for every month now. No, this is someone that they can help you on like a, like a few weeks basis, like a smaller one-off basis. It's just a matter of getting the information out there on how to find them. Basically, again, to answer your question, if you start to – you start to hit that wall of like, okay, I want to make these next financial moves, mm. whether it's I'm going to start to invest for my retirement or I'm going to start to think about planning for a wedding or I'm going to start to think about planning for college or something like that. I'm now hitting my wall of education that I might start to just sort of float away and try mm. to forget. Basically, when you start to hit that edge of like I might fall off of this if I don't get help that's when you should talk to a financial advisor. And that doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean you're signing onto a contract for life, just talk to one. Um, One resource that I love to share is uh, a website called advisorsgiveback.org. This is a a resource that began in the very beginning of the pandemic where a bunch of financial advisors from all over the world decided to donate their time to folks who've never used a financial advisor before, and that's including young folks. You can go onto advisorsgiveback.org, find a financial advisor that is in your area or like fits your life goals or lifestyle and you can actually kind of do a trial with them either for free or just by donation only. And then after that, every advisor has their own sort of plan where you can continue with them on. If you want to, keep paying them, just pay what you can. But it's a really good way to sort of dip your toe into getting help because I think the biggest mistake we make is like hitting some sort of peak, like saturation point in our financial education and going, oh, it's because I'm dumb. Like I just need to get smarter or like oh i just i need to, i need to work harder i need to push harder with my financial education no girl you need help you need community you need people who are literally mm-hmm. like it is their job and it is their joy to give you advice that's out there so try it just try it whenever you feel like you're hitting your saturation point i'd say
1: mm-hmm. i think that is a that is a great tip and to your point i think we have a tendency to look at ourselves mm-hmm. and think that it just means that we're incompetent yes. or we should know this better but when all of the other resources generally are guys or Mm. white and it doesn't feel relatable it's really challenging so um thank you for that resource I'm going to check that out Advisorsgaveback.org.
3: yes it's such a good one and also like I want to make sure that I say before we wrap up on investing like my favorite way especially to teach young people about investing is to talk about and I've got to say because she is also an Asian girl boss Asian boss girl uh born and raised in the Bay Area Ali Wong come on now Ali Wong she actually is the basis of my investing strategy and, like, my investing why. Um, in her first stand-up show, I think is Baby Cobra, she talks about, like, uh initially marrying her husband because uh, he went to Harvard Business School and she was like, that's my investment in my future. Yeah. And she's talking about like Sheryl Sandberg's like book Lean In and how like yeah. Sheryl Sandberg's like, we need to rise to the top. Ali Wong is like, fuck all that. I don't want to lean in. I want to lie down. And so it's like when we're talking about all these like investing terms and like strategies and stuff like that, what really motivates me and fuels me to actually invest and care about investing is the fact that, like, one day I want to lie down. That's what mm-hmm, I want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not investing to be hella rich. I'm not investing – I mean, that'd be nice, but not necessarily. I'm not investing so that I can, like, buy an island. I'm investing so that I can lie down down and I think it's super important actually to identify that especially for Asian American folks because we come from a history of a lot of us like our ancestors never got to lie down our ancestors never got to understand investing and investing doesn't have to be this like tech bro like freaking testosterone adrenaline thing for me I invest because I have the luxury of considering a future wherein I get to lie down the way my ancestors did not and so if all of these things are like investment terms are overwhelming you just know that like one why that you can hang on to is the ability like the luxury the privilege to one day mm. relax it's you know we don't have to supercharge and just sort mm. of grow up our, our investing thoughts it could be it could be all for a revolutionary rest that is why i invest
1: yeah ah, mm. oh, that was beautifully articulated thank you <laughs>
2: Getting back on routine after the holidays is so tough for me. Finding time to grocery shop and meal prep for the work week is just not happening for January. Thank goodness for Green Chef. Green Chef saves you time by taking care of meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the meal prep for you, so you don't have to. They make eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef has options for you. Personally, I chose their balanced living menu because I definitely was not eating that way during the holidays. I can't wait to try their cauliflower, piccata pasta, and mojito shrimp, which are some of the recipes included in this plan. I'll do my best to share these meals with my housemates, but no promises there. Green Chef's always changing variety of recipes means there's something new to discover each week so you never get bored. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh and with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and now my listeners can enjoy both brands at a discount with me. Go to greenchef.com abg130 and use code abg130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Again, that's greenchef.com abg130 and use code abg130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Try the number one meal kit for eating well.
1: Um, so when it comes to investing beyond just the retirement account, though, yes. say say uh, you know I'm someone and I'm starting to already put in the money, working at my corporate job, they're matching, and I got mm. that, and now I want to look into some other other ways to invest my money. Yes. There are all these apps around now, like Acorn, Betterment. Um, mm. It can feel a little bit overwhelming to yes. be in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, are there apps that you'd recommend for someone who maybe is just starting out investment in that way where maybe they're already saving up for their retirement, what mm-hmm. kind of is the next thing that they want to consider?
3: Oh, yes. There are a lot of amazing apps that allow you to both kind of dabble in other retirement vehicles and like the cute, sexy stuff. Like it makes me it makes me very happy to imagine this person that's like, I'm good at my 401k or, you know, like they have the retirement plan. What else do they want to play with? Um At least for for folks like myself who are self-employed, I'm like, and this also applies actually to people who also have a 401k and are working, you can also look into opening up a Roth IRA. That is a separate kind of retirement account that is available for anybody with an income. Um, There are definitely like income caps and ceilings, so you'll have to look into what that is and how it compares to your financial situation. Um, But you don't have to do the whole like, I must go to a Vanguard and officially open up a Roth IRA and... Speaking a british accent like the amazing thing is that there are apps like i want to say like acorn where you can actually open up like quote-unquote legitimate uh investment accounts and not have to do like a lot of these big investment firms are like you must open up like you can open up the Roth IRA, but you have to have a thousand dollar deposit or something like that um there are apps like acorn where you can open up a Roth ira in the app and just start throwing like in it, $20 in it every month, and make it very small and make it very casual, but it still counts as a legitimate retirement account. Also on apps like Acorn, but I really like Public, um, the Public app, you can start to invest in a more sort of intentional, sort of trendy way where you might be able to get either whole slices or just like part of a slice of a stock of a company that you care about or a cause or a fund that you care about. Public itself makes it very like, and I'm going to start to sound like an infomercial, but I think it's really fucking cool. Um, Public is an investing app where you can sort of see what everybody's doing, kind of like Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. You can see what your friends are investing in. You can see what celebrities are investing in and why. You can track of like the companies that are doing well, and you can put in slices of money. Like you don't have to go in and with hundreds of dollars and like feel like you're, you're gambling away your nest egg. You could go in with like, Your lunch money each month and just be like let's see what happens if i put ten dollars on lululemon or whatever let me see what happens when i if i if i believe the tesla hype and like put fifty dollars on it or something um i always say though with that kind of money you always want to invest with money you're willing to lose because Mm -hmm. as as the investment bros like to say the markets are volatile which is investment bros speak for shit's crazy and unpredictable we cannot predict how companies are going to do, how the general overall like economy is going to do. So go into it understanding like you might lose this money in 10 minutes. You might. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Um, a lot of investment professionals will say to uh, figure out what your risk tolerance is, which basically like mm-hmm. how, how brave are you or how much of a little bitch are you about uh, losing or gaining money? Like I'm very risk averse, which means like I get scared about money. I If I have money, I'm mm-hmm. just like I need to be trusting that it's going to go away and – yeah, I, I'm not down to put hell of money on random stuff. Um, so I love an Acorns, a Public, a Stash. Uh, what other like? Yeah, there's there's Wealthfront, there's Betterment. Um, these bigger banks are starting to allow you to get like slices of stock, mm. so you can just play and watch and just see mm. what happens and share what you're learning, which is so new and cool. Like on an app like Public, share what you're learning and see how people who look and sound like you invest and kind of feel safer in that space.
1: Mm. I love that. That is creating greater access to a community of people that, uh, to your point, that you feel more comfortable sharing this information around and that you can trust because you understand that they probably are coming from a perspective and a context like you are.
3: Yes, exactly. Like being able to see both my close friends and like Instagram people who I follow and admire and like like hot models on public and seeing how they specifically invest in why, who mm. I can relate to. It's very, very cool. Um, I want to say I think Cash App allows you to invest now too. Mm. Like a lot of these apps are starting to open up into micro-investing is like the, is mm. the, the sort of techie phrase. Micro-investing is just being able to invest five or ten dollars and let people sort of dabble, dabble, dabble. But again, Auntie Berna is telling you only invest money that you are willing to lose because mm-hmm. um, I don't want you out here crying on TikTok about how you lost your entire <laughs> child's like college savings off of GameStock. We're not we're not doing that.
1: That's great. That's great. Yes. <laughs> Very good advice. I would definitely totally endorse that as well. Yes, yes. Um, Berna, I heard you mention a little earlier about crypto. Oh. I know that. Yeah, I've I've been you know kind of oh, hearing crypto. I think all of us have been hearing crypto everywhere. It is all the hotness right now. Yes. Um, but it can also be really, really confusing. And like you said, oftentimes that the people that talk about it or the way it's talked about might just, it's half the time it sounds like gibberish. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) but you did, you did just release a couple of episodes on your podcast, Money Please, about cryptocurrency, um... Just as a quick, I know you can't, you know, tell us everything and teach us everything in this short amount of time. But maybe what are like one to three things that you learned that you'd like to share with us about crypto?
3: Uh, I would love to share, especially because, and it's learning is the operative word here because mm. crypto and nfts, that's where I'm like, ooh, I cannot be giving you advice. I'm a learner in that situation because it's so new. And, like I said, I'm very risk averse. I don't get like, all hopped up and like hot and bothered wanting to put my money into new things. I'm very like, "Mm -mm, I like my cash. Um, And so For Money Please, our podcast, we interviewed Carmen Perez of Make Real Sense. To me, Carmen Perez is like she is my crypto safe space. I watch her learn about crypto and I've watched her learn about crypto for the last couple of years and she's so open about what she's learning about on Twitter. And on Instagram, like we talked about in the podcast how she was sort of caught up in like a Bitcoin scam and like uh, got into a crypto scam because she like bought at the wrong time off of bad advice. And investing in Bitcoin is like investing in anything else. Investing in crypto is like investing in anything else and that we cannot predict what's going to happen to it. And so for me, I'm still very sort of like arm's length away from crypto, but understanding that like this shit's not going anywhere. We're going to have to understand it eventually. So... What I learned from that conversation with Carmen, one is like, if you are trying, if you want to feel like we are living in a f- in a real life sci fi movie, go ahead and look into the background of crypto. That's just crazy. It's literally like I once had a conversation with um somebody who worked at Gemini, which is like a cryptocurrency custodian. They call it, which is it's just a cryptocurrency like platform. And I had them explain to me where the hell cryptocurrency even comes from. Like, how do what is this? How yeah. do we get here? it sounds like a legitimate sci-fi movie. It's like a one man once upon a time, like hit a bunch of like pieces of things that have value, like in computers, like in the network and people are mining to get it. And because it's hard to get it, it creates the value. It's very much this like kind of strange hyped up system where we've like put value onto a type of digital currency. And just like dollar bills and monetary currency it only matters because we say it matters you know like it's one of those things where it's like if everyone in the world were like um dollars we now we our currency is high fives what's the federal government going to do about it like we it only has value because we put value to it right Mm. same with cryptocurrency it's like there are these it's digital currency and it has value because a bunch of people hyped it up and said it has value, um, much like any so many other different kinds of investments. So anyway, that's one thing I learned. It's just like the background of cryptocurrency made me disassociate for real. Like I just I sort of had like a mental health like, oh my God, what <laughs> the fuck planet are we on? That might make you not excited about cryptocurrency or yeah, it might yeah. make you really excited. Um, the second <laughs> thing I learned is that the sort of one of the basis, bases of cryptocurrency, why it was made is this whole concept of decentralization. Um, I think they call it like descent or something in the in the crypto world. That's how you know a, a world is getting crazy when people are starting to acronym things that you don't even understand in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Um, but the whole concept is is decentralization, which basically means like the way our financial system works now is. If I wanted money, if I wanted dollars, I typically have to go to a bank um, and I have to like open an account with them. To open an account, I need to have like U.S. citizenship. Um, if I'm in a different country, I might need to be a man in order to open up an account. Um, I might need to be in a city where there are even banks. Like there are all these barriers. I need to have the right all the the right paperwork. I need to be a specific kind of person. There are all these barriers and gatekeepers actually to be able to like access and manage money. The idea with cryptocurrency is that like nobody owns this currency. There's no federal government telling us today the value of the dollar is so and so and so and we're making this many dollars. Like cryptocurrency, the idea is it's sort of like owned by no one and it's accessible by anybody with the internet. Like you could, if you have Wi-Fi access, you can sign up for like a cryptocurrency account and start buying and selling and keeping cryptocurrency without having to have a certain citizenship status without having to like adhere to the money rules of your country or of your city or of your state Um, and it's supposed to be breaking down a lot of barriers in terms of access to money so that's kind of cool the third thing though that i think is really important to point out when we talk about cryptocurrency is there are a lot of not great implications right now of cryptocurrency for example all this like mining i just told you about which is basically like there are big giant supercomputers in the world that are out looking for cryptocurrency to like sell to be p- uh, t- sci-fi movie fucked up um giant supercomputers working to create cryptocurrency for us to use are apparently extremely damaging to the environment i just learned this recently too um that it's like many, many times more damaging to be running these supercomputers and like running these mining programs than so many other industries that we point to as damaging, like the oil industry and the energy industry. Um And so it's, again, all that to say, cryptocurrency is very early days. It's something to keep track of. It's something you can start playing with inside of an app like Acorns or Public or Cash App. You can buy like certain kinds of cryptocurrency and hold it and see what happens just like an investment um but i would say it's not something that please god don't cash out your 401ks or anything to get into mm. cryptocurrency i'm like trying to stay away from the fever of it all right now um and kind of holding and waiting to see what happens
1: that was a, that was a beautiful yeah yeah <laughs> <or laughs> breakdown you're, you're, yeah it was a really great breakdown i i feel like i've kind of dived into like a two hour long podcast is my intro and i was like what my mind was like gonna explode but i loved you you hit on some of the big points which is just i like that you emphasize that your perspective now is to be a learner because everyone is learning and to to, it helps everyone to not feel stupid in thinking that it's really confusing Mm -hmm. because it is i think it's confusing to everyone Mm -hmm. um and uh i like how you also specified that it is Something that probably at some point we will need to be well versed in. Yeah. It's not gonna be tomorrow, so no one needs to freak out, Mm-mm. but it is something to good to start to just like get a general understanding of. Mm-hmm. We I feel like we walked through so, so many, many different topics in <laughs> investing, did, and know. I've learned so much, and I hope our listeners have as well. Um but Berna to wrap us up, uh we are wondering as Someone who is a personal financial specialist like yourself. Mm. What are some of your own personal finance resources? Uh, I know you've shared a couple Mm. throughout our episode, but
3: any ones that you'd like to to share with our listeners? Yes, of course. First of all, I wish I could just like reach through people's uh, headphones, not to be creepy, but just like like massage your brain because we did cover so much. And I I want to tell you that like if you only took away one, like – one little tidbit of anything I said and like don't worry about the rest start somewhere and just pick out one this was like this was a master class right here this was like a crash course in all the things which yeah. is so awesome and you can and should repeat this episode over and over to like try to get the gems um but absolutely go slow in whatever you're trying to pursue from here go slow money is not going anywhere as much as cryptocurrency mm. bros want to keep screaming at us the dollar bill is not going anywhere anytime soon in our lifetimes we still have time to manage what the hell's going on here before we all live in Mark Zuckerberg's back pocket or whatever. <laughs> oh, the metaverse, don't even. Um, but I would say right now, my favorite personal financial re- financial resources, I always have to shout out, and I already did. Tiffany Alice, the budget nista, is the first person to ever make me feel seen in the personal financial industry. Um, I was inhaling a lot of books and podcasts and blogs from older white dudes. And Tiffany Alice is a woman. She is a black woman. She is a hilarious educator. She's a former preschool teacher, which again, I mentioned before, I'm basically a child. And she has this very, she has this way of teaching like basic financial concepts where I f- I just feel like I'm talking to my best friend who's also like a preschool teacher and can break things down for me. She's incredible. She's always who I turn to first when I don't understand something. I'm like, explain it to me like I'm five, Tiffany. I am five. Um. She's absolutely incredible. I also would point to one of my favorite um, YouTubers, financial YouTubers of all time. Her name is Yanelli Espinal, AKA Miss Be Helpful on YouTube and on Instagram. Yanelli is that like just, she's the friend who's gonna break it down for you in very real terms and like, Again, she's another person where I when I listen to her, I feel like I'm just sort of talking to my best friend. Um, she's also the kind of person that'll sort of like slap you upside the head with reality of being first gen um, and the struggles that we all go through. She is a Latina from the Bronx. I want to say she has something like 11 brothers and sisters. And uh, so she has such an incredible perspective on intergenerational wealth. Um, mm. She also works for a company called Next Gen Personal Finance, and she helps teachers Teach personal education, uh, uh, personal finance education better. So she's just like my educational go-to, um, and then my favorite, my favorite podcast, is, my favorite financial podcast is Brown Ambition, um, and it speaks to all uh, people of color, especially women of color. It's it's actually. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm just like the biggest Tiffany Alice fangirl. It's Tiffany Alice, but also another financial educator, Mandy Woodruff. And listening to them, that was also the first time I was like, oh, these are two besties talking about money that break out, they break down both like financial current events and like real actual financial, um, like listener questions in a way that feels super, super, super accessible. So I love Brown Ambition. Another podcast I really love, you know, besides the Money Please podcast, which I host with Betches. I okay, can't um, But one podcast I was just telling a friend about that's been around since 2016. It's called Bad with Money by Gabby Dunn. And Gabby Dunn, such, she, I mean, the whole podcast is incredible, but Gabby, they do such an incredible job at uh, diving into the identity behind finance. Like they did an episode on like how does queerness affect our finances? What mm-hmm. does what is reparations for the Black community and what would that mean for all of us today? Um, how do addictions like affect our finances? How do eating disorders affect our finances? Like Gabby does such an incredible job of bringing in experts and they dig so deep into the identity politics of money. And it just it brings money into your whole world in such a fascinating way, and can't say enough good things about Gabby and what they do.
2: Wow, I am so happy you shared all these resources with us and our listeners. Yes. I have a five hour drive for the holidays coming up, and oh yes, V five, yeah. And so I'm going to be using all of this to yes. to learn. Yeah, are you coming uh, back up to the bay? I am. I okay. just realized the episode is coming out later, but. I have a long awesome. drive and these resources will <laughs> be great. Yes. Yeah. yeah
3: right. With Gab, with Gabby Dunn, their podcast has been around since 2016. So you've got lots to dig into. Awesome. And so many other things.
2: I'm excited. Thank you so much for sharing all these incredible podcasts. And yes. to wrap us up with our last question, Verna, for anyone who wants to learn more, where can they find you?
3: Oh boy! Well, proceed at your own risk. Um, the ratchetry that you've heard today very much continues on my Instagram. My Instagram is Hey so that's H E Y B E R N A, not Burma, like the former kingdom, not Brenda. That's literally not my name. Someone called me that at a bar on Saturday, and I ripped into them. Um, it's Hey B E R N A on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok, but really, I again, as like a millennial, I'm sort of like I don't know what I'm doing here. So Instagram is the the place to find me for sure.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Yes, thank you both so much for having me. This has been incredible and lovely and cozy and I'm, I'm happy to always share more.
0: If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash Asian Boss Girl slash support or get some merch at
1: dot com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience
2: Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at Asian Boss Girl. We do have a couple shout outs for this episode. To Joy from Wilson, happy birthday, Joy. I am so happy we found each other. I love you. That is so sweet. To Suhyun from Manuel. Happy birthday, Suhyun. You're my one and only Asian boss girl. I've been so lucky to have you be part of my life these past couple of years. Thank you for sharing the ABG podcast with me. Melody, Helen, and Jan have always done an awesome job at bringing people onto the show. They're doing amazing things, and it's very inspiring to see. That is so kind, Manuel. And to my dabs, Van Van, Lisa, Michelle, Diana, Helen, and Mish from Vivian Lee, I'm so glad we were finally able to meet and feel refreshed from our girls' trip. I'm so inspired by each of you boss ladies. Keep slaying. Love you.
0: If you'd like to send a shout-out to a friend, check out our link tree in our link and bio on our Instagram and click on shout-outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one.
1: We'll catch you all in the next episode. Bye! Bye.